Greetings, fellow Dungeon Masters. Welcome back to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim, and I want to say thank you very much for listening to this. This is another campaign planning episode. It's a very special one, because I'm joined by Ryan Howard of the excellent podcast Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. Uh, If you haven't listened to that podcast yet, I really do highly recommend it if you uh, have heard any of our last episodes from past uh, month or so, then you'll have heard probably a, a brief uh, ad spot for that podcast. He interviews people involved with the D&D community, various creators, artists, other podcasters. Uh, it's really a lot of fun, so I really hi- highly recommend checking it out and leaving it a rating or review if you like it. So Ryan is joining me to help plan out some things that will be maybe coming up in the next uh, few months of the campaign. And we had such a great discussion that we actually recorded over two days, and so our conversation was quite long, so it's going to be a two-part episode. Uh, This is part one, and then part two will be out later this week. Uh, I just didn't want to put it all out at once because it's getting up, I think it was around an hour and 45 minutes, so... I thought better to put it out into two smaller sections, a little bit more easily digestible. There are some parts where you'll hear a cat meowing in the background. Hopefully that's not too distracting. Uh, I was so engrossed in our conversation that I I didn't notice it for the most part, so hopefully hopefully that holds true for you as well. And of course, I should say, we're going to be talking about massive amounts of stuff that's happening behind the scenes, so... This almost goes without saying, but spoilers ahead. And without further delay, here's my discussion, my campaign planning episode with Ryan Howard. Well, I am really grateful to have some help on this latest behind-the-screen campaign planning episode, because I am genuinely at a crossroads, and joining me is none other than Ryan Howard of the amazing podcast Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. How's everybody doing? Everyone's fine. I'll speak on their behalf. Everyone's everyone's doing well. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I did not introduce myself properly for this show. Um, <clears throat> greetings, peasants. <laughs> there we go. I like that. Um, <laughs> okay. So you, um, you have an amazing podcast that I try to listen to as regularly as I can. Uh, and your most recent interview, as of our recording this was with Mr. Larry Elmore, the famed artist. I've I've started into that interview, and I gotta say, your interviews just keep getting better and better. I, I'm really excited to see like who's who's coming up next. Every week, it's just this, like a new surprise. Well, I I appreciate everything you're saying. Um, as far as the interviews getting better and better, I, I'm glad someone feels that way, because sometimes it, it it's really week to week for me sometimes i feel like i'm doing really well and sometimes i feel like i'm absolutely struggling but you tell me how how good the interviews come out and then uh, someone else who is very complimentary of me was actually uh, levi combs of uh, planet x games uh both of you guys have encouraged me and you know larry elmore had a great time doing the podcast i feel like that episode turned out great uh, so I just appreciate the support from everyone who's who's been on the show and everyone who listens, and I am beyond excited to be here on Nights and Nerds with you. Uh, and everyone listening should go and immediately listen to your podcast and then leave it a five-star review, as is what it deserves. Um, so just a quick history between you and I. Like You were uh, have been one of our earliest and most ardent supporters since we like since the the very beginning Mm -hmm. uh which has really blown my mind and i eagerly await the arrival of the the minis that you so graciously painted for the group absolutely they are they are strapped to the side of that goose headed up headed up your way to uh to canada right now as we speak i hope you weren't mauled too too viciously almost lost a finger but it's okay (laughs) You know, my uh, my wife worked for a time at the University of Waterloo, and no joke, like around nesting season, those things inhabit the campus, various parts of the university campus, and they are not uh, pleasant. 
Anyways, enough about that. I have a glass of Johnny Walker in my hand and a head full of half-baked ideas that I would really like your help with. Uh, so first off, you're co-hosting this with me because you also, in, in addition to being a supporter from the from the get-go and painting some awesome minis, you also supported us on our Kickstarter campaign, which has resulted in us getting some great new audio equipment, which has made our recording uh incredibly better which hopefully will be evident by the time this comes out and also my life so much easier so i i owe you so much on like multiple levels almost in keeping with that i'm going to ask you for more help (laughs) (laughs) in terms of kind of where to go with this uh campaign right now so let's do i I guess a quick recap and we're also going to be covering a few episodes that haven't um come out yet as we're recording this but when this actually gets released they, sh- they should be out. Cool. So the last um, behind-the-screen planning episode was July 17th, and that was right after the episode, our 30th episode, entitled Sky Ninjas, where the group was just entering the Circle of Fire. And so as of us recording this, episodes 31, 32, and 33 have, have come out. So the group went into the Circle of Fire. They did some exploring they found a few items i think they found a a staff that had some charges of the spell ice uh, ice storm Mm -hmm. they conversed with a ghost dragon and then they fought said ghost dragon when it uh hitchhiked back to bulbrook in brita by possessing her so Mm -hmm. in the in, in our dungeon master group i had ask for people's feedback on you know what sort of challenges can I throw at the group in this area where the predominant theme and the threat is fire and I had a lot of great uh, suggestions from from people and I was really hoping to incorporate some of them including there was one like a um, a, a puzzle that required manipulation of fire in order to solve there's a use of like fire and smoke methods is it methods or mefits? I think it's methods. Okay, that's what I thought too. But when we were recording, uh, there was a gl- there was a problem that I was trying to work out. I was just getting the hang of the recording equipment, and so our recording time was really cut in half be- due to my incompetence. And so I had to sort of improvise, you know, cut out a few things, and then just kind of introduce this uh, ghost dragon at the very end there. Now, in terms of, I guess, what I thought was going to happen. I thought that they were going to, first off, when they encountered the dragonborn who lived there in obscurity, in in sort of secret, I thought once they saw any dragonborn that they were just going to throw down and attack and proceed to murder. The same thing with the ghost dragon. I thought that they were just going to roll up and and try to fight this thing. But I've I should have learned by this point that they're... Like, combat is not the, like, at the forefront of how they want to approach a problem, at least for mm-hmm. most of them. I think Vanna's character probably is that way, but not for the rest of the group. I think the main thing that happened there was that um, they got the dragon bones, so their their series of fetch quests is, is nearly over. And then there was a moment where Brita was in mortal danger, as, as was Faye. Uh, so... I just kind of want to get your your feedback on on how how that all went down. I know that the group was really surprised at the end of episode thirty two when they discovered that oh this isn't actually Brita this is Tarun who's possessed Brita. So I thought that was actually really cool. Oddly enough, and this was something that you guys recorded months in advance. Uh, but you and I had very very recently discussed uh, some of the the plans that I have for uh, some books that I that I hope to be writing sometime soon. And one of the major plot points that I had was the ghost of a dragon possessing someone. And then that episode came out, and I was like, oh, something in the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was I was thinking that that the like once they resorted to combat, Again, assuming that they were going to get to this gravesite, that they would mm-hmm. resort to combat very quickly, and and I thought that the dragon would 
possess one of them at that point, and then that would make a complication for for how they approach that combat. But they're really mm. trying to to avoid it. I guess I got to give them credit for that. And then they were e- even like really bending over backwards to try to appeal to this thing, to try to appeal to the dragon's pride to its to its ego Mm -hmm. because i think that is a big character point especially of of red dragons which this one was is that they just you know their their arrogance their pride they can't really take any sort of insults without answering those insults with essentially death and i wonder not not to undercut your players who are all great and i love them but i wonder if at this point it's not so much a desire to find a non-violent solution as it is uh self-preservation well that's entirely possible that's entirely possible like they don't have like a, a meat shield they don't have a high hit point or a high ace i guess spruce kind of has a high armor class despite you know not being not having a like a huge well of of hit points but they don't have a they don't have a a proper healer they don't have a proper tank so i guess mm. i guess they're, they're sort of angling towards what they're actually good at which is being maybe a little bit more, you know, clandestine in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So I got to give them credit for for playing to their strengths. Tarun, Tarun, Tarun. <laughs> and you know, like when there we had a big break between episode, like recording episodes thirty two and thirty three. It was like three or four weeks uh, that we actually saw each other, and Candace had all this time to think about what she was going to do. And I, th- I was, I was certain that she was going to use the, you know, the tattoo ability to, to psychically communicate <laughs> with the rest of the team. Um, but I was wrong on that one too. I was, I was wrong in so many ways in these last few episodes. It's, it's amazing how you can plan for something and be like, oh, they've got a resource to overcome this issue, and then, in the heat of the moment, they forget all about that resource. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I can't really blame them for that. I've been there as a player myself. Not nearly as often as they have, mind you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only once or twice have I had that opportunity to forget something that I could have done. But in, in terms of episode 33, the ghost dragon, I I don't think I ever intended to actually try to kill Faye. I think the, the dragon wanted to knock Faye unconscious and then like tie her up and make her witness the the cruelty that he was going to inflict on the inhabitants of Bulbrook because he he still wanted her to sing his song and he was mm-hmm. gonna, he was going to give her lots of material so i think i think if she had maybe approached it a bit differently and and really angered Tarun then maybe maybe that would have changed that the he would have actually legitimately tried to to kill her. It came pretty close to her being knocked out, but she smartly fled. But not after trying at least to to put up a bit of a fight, which I think is some sign of character growth on Faye's part. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And it would have been it would have been very interesting to see how Faye as a character would have reacted to basically being forced to watch a dragon wreak havoc on a city full of innocent people because that is very much something she never would have witnessed oh yeah yeah she's she's been having her eyes open in all sorts of ways and i think to the extent that she doesn't actively change i believe she's still resistant to that idea of of really growing up i think i don't know if it's an active choice of Candace's to do this, but I think that Faye might be in denial. Some form of den- yeah, some form of denial where she's not <laughs> processing all of the things that that she's witnessing. But I think I think her growth is 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 hopefully will be starting to be a bit more evident in in the next few levels. When we were nearing the end of that combat, Candace was on her phone, you know, typing away furiously, and I I thought that she was looking up. A spell or something like that, but she was writing that little poem about about Tarun that she read at the very end there, which I I thought was a really nice way to end off the encounter. Absolutely. So I guess before we move on to like new stuff, you, you're a dungeon master in your own right. Mm-hmm. How long have you been been DMing for? 
I've actually been DMing for a relatively short amount of time. Um, I first started DMing right around the end of my sophomore year of college. So I've only been DMing for right around, oh goodness, that would be three, three and a half years. Okay, so three and a half years, I mean, that's not, I mean, I'm sure relatively to, to people like DM Dave, sure, that's a that's a short period of time. But three and a half years is nothing to sneer mm. at. You must have gone through your share of of campaigns, short and long, in that period of time. So the funny thing about that is I went through, in that period of time, uh, really just one very, very long campaign. I was lucky enough, and, and this was due to the circumstances of me being in college and with friends who all lived in the area, and some of which were in college with me. But we were able to do two campaigns, one of which lasted three years and one of which lasted... Uh, I think right around two and a half years. Wow. Uh, this this one that we're doing right now is the longest one that I've ever run. So that's, I think you've, in terms of, you may have, like I think I may be, uh, have DM'd for a longer period than you, but you've, you've got me beat in terms of the duration. Something that I've been trying to, I guess, I guess make somewhat interesting is, and I think this is a, a challenge with a lot of, dms because it's so loosely covered in the dungeon master guide is travel and mm. and ex making traveling across terrain interesting now we had a, a series of episodes that were all entitled on the road and then in this one there was i guess part of part of sky ninjas and most of 31 and 32 were kind of overland travel and mm. i I, what I have tried to do is is like make present the possible present the opportunities to the players that you know you can make choices that affect your circumstances in 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 this part of the game where you're going from A to B. Like I don't really want anyone to die when they're in between objectives. That's you know that'd be so anticlimactic unless they go and do something completely irredeemably stupid. Mm. At the same time, like make it interesting and make not necessarily to to make the stakes super high but to make their choices matter in some way and i don't know really if that's come across very well because i'm i have a very skewed perspective of of these episodes because i listened to the whole thing several times in its entirety and then uh even when it gets pared down i still know what like everything that i've cut out like all the pauses all the uncertainty and the indecisions that i've edited out of everything so, honest opinion, like, be as, as mean as you can, which I don't know if you have the capacity to be mean, Ryan, but we'll see. Uh, has that actually... That's my wife. <laughs> has that actually come across in, in these travel episodes where the, where the players have meaningful choices to make? I, I believe so. To be perfectly honest, in, in games past, I've always just kind of skipped over overland travel because I've never been able to find decent resources for, uh, like, random encounter tables. The few times that I tried them, I'd end up with something stupid like, oh, you are traveling with this big army and you guys encounter roll uh, two blink dogs. They see you and they run away. <laughs> Because two blink dogs can't take on an army. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think there's anything actually wrong with, with skipping over that part. I think the when I when I did that sort of episode for for Dungeon Masters, kind of summarizing my thoughts on overland travel, I believe, if my memory serves, that the Dungeon Masters Guide kind of implies that it's okay to. It may do more than imply. It may almost explicitly state. I think it does state that sometimes the journey, that sometimes the destination is more important than the journey. Mm -hmm. So I, th it essentially gives you permission to to sort of skip over that stuff. But I, I think what I wanted to try to accomplish, at least in the circle of fire, um, was you know that this is a very dangerous area. It's going to be difficult for you to accomplish this task, which is why I mean there was a reason. 
there had to be a narrative reason why these bones were still there. If they're so valuable and useful, there has to be a reason why they're still there, and that difficulty has to be present. And I think I drifted a little bit closer to throwing obstacles at them that forced them just to make saving throws. So it was, I think it was a bit more reactionary in in some ways for them than proactive poss- possibilities for them to approach the problem. But I did kind of give them like an asterisk that you can always, if I'm like presenting you with this obstacle, you can go around and you'll incur a delay. And so many delays, you're going to get more exhausted. And the exhaustion, I think, was something that I don't think they they had actually encountered before in any of my games. So that was something new for them. And mm. I mean, I guess that was a, was a an option for them. I, they didn't really, I don't think even once, choose to voluntarily incur a delay. So eh, I kind of have to shrug, and I, I think it went somewhat well. Well... If this makes you feel any better about your performance because of those episodes, because of the on the road episodes and the episodes where they were exploring the the circle of fire, uh, I have tried to incorporate more of overland travel and and incorporating those obstacles that you have to overcome in order to get to your destination because of how you guys did it on the show. Oh, nice. Well, you'll have to let me know how those uh, how those turn out. So far, my players have been pretty happy with it. Nice. All right. So I guess that covers the f- the last few episodes that are currently uh, out. So uh, I'll try to summarize the few episodes that are are yet to come out. So they've they've left Bullbrook to go to Tall Hill, and as 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 we know, they've sent a few people there. They sent Lilith the Drow that they took prisoner, and then eventually semi-befriended um well they didn't send her there she was going there and then they sent the the three three members of the arcane academy one of one of whom was teller the clairvoyant they sent them there thinking that they might be safer in this little village that's way out of the way and there's there's a wizard who's there that they have never heard of so they've they've made their way to tall hill they have talked to the wizard there who is, I won't waste time on like the character traits of the wizard and stuff. They essentially wanted to talk to him about the the black orb that they have. He he asked to take it from them so that he could study it, and they agreed. So so currently, as of episode 36, the wizard still has this black orb, which is a component of the nautiloid that they that the players went through when they were underground. So it's part of part of a mind flare spaceship, I guess is the interdimensional ship. They they talked to Teller. Teller gave them some some more cryptic insights. The main one was referring to Elwyn as the man of two minds. Now, Candace had already expressed her belief that Elwyn was not in control of himself and that she thinks that he's that there's part of him that will want to be taken out of the picture because he's, he doesn't want to be a, a tool. And that's why he will eventually ask her to kill him, which was another warning that Teller gave her. So this kind of confirms that, even though I, I don't really think the Candace needed confirmation, but there it is. There are a few other vague hints that they got. I can't remember off the top of my head what they were. Um, nothing too... I, I, there was one about hunters, hunters in the sky, which were the Gith, the Gith Yankee, and and so they're kind of wondering what to do at this point. They don't want to go back to, they don't want to give the bones back to Elwyn now that they're so suspicious of him. Enna, the elf who's working on the cure, has has sort of, in some way she has, in some way she hasn't confirmed that the the Elwyn that the players have been interacting with is far different in some ways than the one that she remembered. Uh, after that, they took a side quest because Spruce wanted to get a magic ring. They took a side quest into, but he didn't, he didn't have enough gold to pay for it. So he, he volunteered his, his labor to act as, as essentially a guard for this exploratory group going into this area called the black bog, where they might find some discarded, magic items that are in an area too dangerous for them to get to like this place is 
Tall Hill is barely more than a hamlet. So they don't have a whole lot of adventurers there to to assist the townsfolk in going into these this dangerous place. Um, so episodes 35 and 36 are kind of the side quest where they are going into this very dangerous area. And they they secured four crates of of goods. And I rolled randomly to determine what items were inside and what rarity they were. Most of them are uncommon. Uh, the vast majority of them are uncommon. But there was a legendary one. I rolled, uh, actually, uh, a natural 20 was my requisite to, to have a legendary item in there. And then I rolled f- for a random legendary item. And I came up with the Well of Many Worlds. I'm just going to sort of read the uh, description of this, if if you don't mind. Go for it. If they had gotten a Ring of Three Wishes, I would have re-rolled that in a hurry. Yeah. The Well of Many Worlds, uh, it's a fine black cloth, soft as silk, folded up to the dimensions of a handkerchief. It unfolds into a circular sheet six feet in diameter. You can use an action to unfold and place the Well of Many Worlds on a solid surface, whereupon it creates a two-way portal to another world or plane of existence. Each time the item opens a portal, the DM decides where it leads. You can use an action to close an open portal by taking hold of the edges of the cloth and folding it up. Once the Well of Many Worlds has opened a portal, it can't do so again for 1d8 hours. I'm I'm kind of at a loss as to... I mean, the players know... The players know that there's a legendary item in what they found. The characters don't know this unless they randomly start just grabbing items and then trying to like just sit there for 30 minutes until they figure out what it does <laughs> which which doesn't make sense so there's you know i think the players will eventually find out that there's something very very special that they found in this swamp my initial thought was like if this can open a portal to another plane like that seems to be a, a huge opportunity for this to 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 go very wrong this whole story to go very wrong unless i guide it very carefully uh, what like what are your thoughts about how I should approach maybe this and how do you approach like giving characters legendary items uh, items at all? So in the case of characters that are at the level that y- your characters are at, uh, my personal philosophy is if they end up getting their hands on a legendary item, uh, for one thing, they will unless they roll very very high on the uh, Arcana check. Uh, they will not really have any kind of idea what it does. And so their their next step will almost have to be finding someone with enough experience who they trust, who can tell them what this item is. Right, yes. There's a, there's a wizard that they hardly know in, in Tall Hill who I'm assuming that they'll go to and ask them to identify some stuff. The kicker is, though, I think based on the description, that legendary item sounds almost exactly like a portable hole the way a portable hole looks when it's folded up so they if they're just rummaging through these crates they may just look right past it but let's say let's say they did get their hands on it they figured out what it what it did how would you guide this in in terms of of a a subtle dm hand so my understanding of that item is that uh it is it's actually you who controls uh where the portal itself leads and you can change it. I, I believe you can change it every time. Uh, but, but my understanding of the item is that it's actually, it, it's controlled by the DM. So if you don't want to essentially lead them straight to Kalira with that item, then uh, you could do probably one or two things. Um, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the dragons have been banished to another plane. Is that correct? You are hundred percent correct. Uh, so if you really wanted to put the fear of Tim back in them, uh, you could. <laughs> oh, okay. You could have that. Uh, you could have that portal lead directly to where the dragons are, and then immediately all the dragons are like, "Wait a minute, you're with Kalira." <laughs> I figured. You know what? I figured like there was there was a chance that that this adventure might turn into some crazy plane hopping extravaganza and maybe this is as good a time as any to sort of bring in the the other thing that we were going to talk about today which is the githyanki they come from another 
plane of existence. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that this thing could lead back to their home plane, which I believe is the astral plane. And uh, real quick, I just have to apologize for the extremely vocal cat. I don't know if you can hear that on your end, Tim, but there, <laughs> there's a very, very loud kitty in this house. That's okay. It's a good, it's yes. a good background on like ambience to to our discussion. But yeah, as far as the Gith's uh, origins, uh, yes, they they do in fact come from the astral plane. And an interesting facet of them is actually that they raise their young and train their soldiers in the material plane because on the astral plane uh creatures don't age yes yes and and there's another bit of lore that i didn't know if i wanted to incorporate like i've i've had to change some of the textbook lore of like mind flayers and and some other stuff otherwise i think tom would immediately pick on on some some things Mm-hmm. Um, like the way that I, for example, the way I described a nautiloid is not at all how a nautiloid typically looks. The Gith actually have, uh, sorry, I should say the Gith Yankee, because there's a big difference between the Gith Yankee and the Gith Serai. The Gith Yankee actually ride red dragons. They uh, they have sort of a concordat with Tiamat, who has given them some the service of some red dragons to use now i i haven't decided if the gith yankee actually do have any red dragons or not um but i think due to that is why they in um at least in morning canons explains that is why their airships are created to look like dragons so i've kind of have brought that piece of lore over from from morning canons i could have the well of many worlds yeah open up to the to the astral plane and and for them to i guess talk to the gith directly somehow what would you think about like in, in, if you were going to make it different each time how would you how would you structure that like based on the hour of the day like full moon versus cloudless or, or moonless night what do you think i feel like that is a better way to structure it than the way i was thinking and the way i was thinking was you make a table and then roll every time they go through it. Now, when they go through it, the next time they come back, it's to the plane that they came from, just so they aren't constantly having to continually open up the well, because, ah, damn it, this time we ended up in the plane where everything's made of cotton candy, (laughs) not not where we needed to be. (laughs) Turn into an episode of Rick and Morty where they're just continually coming from... Oh, this is the this is the plane where uh, hamsters live inside people's butts. Yeah, yeah, you're right in what you said. I don't want it to have them just open a door to to where clear is. You know, I want them to be the heroes of 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 this story, and and not you know bring in powerful NPC and then NPC sort of leads them on this crusade against the uh, the bad guys. Now. Here's a question I have for you, kind of going off of this this interplanner thing that we have going on, as well as going back to the, the details about the dragons. Since the dragons have been banished to another plane, um, have you given any thought to the idea that maybe the dragons have subjugated the plane they've been sent to? Oh my goodness, I did not actually even think of that as a possibility. Oh, wow. Oh, I just got to chill, man. Where? Glad to help. Yeah. <laughs> Was that just an idea that just came to you, or did you already have a, an idea of a plane in mind? I don't know that I have a specific plane in mind, but just the idea that Kalira had did what she had to do to end the war, which was send the dragons into another plane, but in doing so... It's kind of just the the idea that every action has to have consequences, and even the best intentioned actions of I have to save my world from the subjugation of dragons, but inadvertently what she's done is subject another world to that same subjugation. And perhaps this was a plane where there were no draconics before, and so they were completely and totally unprepared for what happened. That sounds monumental and because the dragons have been able to conquer this new plane 
and because of their their association with the with the Githyanki, if you want to bring that in, uh, they are now looking to come back to their home plane, having conquered this other plane and conquer it, so that they can begin conquering the multiverse, as it were. That would be a really neat idea to almost like maybe once the the mind flares have been dealt with. Mm-hmm. That could that could prove to be an entirely new jumping off point for the next, like like the levels like twelve, thirteen, and up. I don't know what mm-hmm. level the players are going to be once they get their shit together and 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 fix this problem before them. But like <laughs> once that's done, that could be like that could be that could take them to you know right up until like almost level level twenty, taking like mm-hmm. trying to save an entire plane from the mistakes of the people that they once thought as heroes oh man that's Mm. genius it also and and this just occurred to me i i don't claim to be a genius or anything but in thinking about this if that ends up being the direction that you guys go at that point the players would almost have to wonder were the mind flayers in actuality the lesser of two evils which is not a light that people often see mind flayers in. No, not at all. And uh, a thought that occurred to me early on when when I sort of had the parts of this campaign floating around was, you know, they the the Githyanki are there to like as hunting parties. The Githyanki, you know, often go out uh, to other other planes hunting down mind flayers, and I think. I may, I might be mistaken. I think in in the lore that's how you become a Githyanki knight, or I think that's how you attain a certain rank. Yep, uh, you have to kill a mind flare. You have to kill a mind flare, and so there there's there's a, a a small number of them who have sort of come into the material plane through essentially what are the equivalent of like holes in the ozone layer of Elwyn's barrier, uh, almost by happenstance, tracking down these these mind flares, and if if there's this open door like the well of many worlds that um that can lead them into the material plane you know like they they will want to eliminate anything that has the taint of the mind flare on it mm-hmm. i could figure out a way to phrase that better you know what i mean <laughs> yeah uh that they'll want and essentially that means anyone who's been in contact with them or is afflicted with new life which is essentially a large part of the population the innocent people so it's like, you know, do we, what do we do? Like the mind flayers are trying to reestablish a colony. The Githyanki want to eliminate anything that has the trace of, of the mind flare on it. Mm-hmm. There may be no lesser of two evils there. They may be equally bad. I don't know. I, I guess one way of looking at that legendary item is that the material plane may be, uh, since we could, we could sort of say that it was like created in the material plane. That's, that's, that's why... It can go to various other planes, but once you're there, it always comes back to its plane of origin. Like, you know, like one way is going out as a lot of avenues, but if you're going back the other way, it's just a one-way street. So I, I and since we're on the Get the Yankee, there's, there's been another dilemma that I've been dealing with, and that's uh, player, player agency. Now, Tom has been vocal in the last uh, episode, in the last time that he and I spoke out of game, about wanting to set up like a, some kind of base of operations in Tall Hill, like he has plans to stay there. And I, as I mentioned, the players like don't really want to go back to Pharaoh's Point immediately. They know that they'll have to eventually because there's this big problem that is just getting worse in their absence. I want the I want this to be the player's story, and so I don't want to force them out of Tall Hill. But at the same time, my my villains have plans of their own. Like the the Githyanki are going to be out there hunting down traces of mind flares, and one big thing is this orb. That's like a, essentially like a beacon to them. Like that's something that the Githyanki have been really honing in on. So eventually, like they're going to show up in Tall Hill. So what I'd like your insight on uh, is how do you balance like letting the players take control of the flow of the story versus controlling your own villains if that really 
cuts off some something that the players were trying to do you certainly should let your players have have that agency and if they want to stay in in tall hill and set up a base of operations i say let them do that but you have villains and at this point you now have uh three different factions of villains all with their own plans at some point these plans have to come to fruition and so I guess the longer they stay away from Pharaoh's Point, the more of a hold the Mind Flayers get on that region. And, you know, if if they do stay in Tall Hill and start establishing a base of operations, I feel like at some point uh, it would be reasonable for the Githyanki to just attack Tall Hill, because that would... From from their point of view, that would be spreading the corruption of the mind flayers. These these people who have had interaction with one of the mind flayers thralls and seem to be doing his bidding have now gone to a different part of the world and are building spheres of influence over in that part of the world. And so that's something that needs to be cut off at the root from their perspective. And if you and, and we keep coming back to this, uh, the the alliance that the Githyanki have with the dragons. If you want to tie in the story with the Dragonborn to this uh, Githyanki versus Mindflayer thing, you can have uh, the Dragonborn almost using the Githyanki as not quite mercenaries, but kind of a, a convenient way of dealing with the players. We know that you guys are hunting these people. We would very much be interested in you continuing to do that, and we will maybe even bolster your ranks and help you track these people down and use some of our resources to help you in your quest because what you're doing is actually helping us in ours. That is an awesome idea and reminds me of something that I forgot to mention. I think it's the beginning of episode 35. Arizax sort of projects himself and talks to the players and like points out to to these, you know, dragon shaped airships and wanting to, I guess he sort of temporarily extends an olive branch saying that, you know, there's this other faction here. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. You seem to be very resourceful. And we should get them out of the way, and then we can get to the business of killing each other. They kind of shoot down that idea. And it's very it's very appealing to me now for Arizax to reach out to them to see if he can... And not only that, they insulted him, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's... That's a really excellent uh, way to turn things now is that um, Arizax now turns to to the to the Githyanki and offers his support in going after the heroes. And what is a major part of of Githyanki history in that the the that Tiamat granted them this boon and sent the red dragons with them to to fight the mind flayers. Uh, may just be a a very small footnote in draconic history. So it's entirely possible that that detail of, oh yeah, we have a history with these people might not be at the forefront of Arizax's mind. And it, it might be one of his, one of his advisors came forward and said, my Lord, uh, we, we've been examining the, uh, the, the, the history texts of, of your people. And, and what we've discovered is that uh, we have a, a sort of, historical kinship with with these people and and here they are are these the the people that you've been seeing in the sky yeah yeah absolutely another thought just occurred to me while we were like in the the last minute here if i put a spin on the existing lore about um gith making a pact with tiamat Mm -hmm. um if if i take a little spin on the lore and say that Elwyn and Kalir banished the evil dragons to the astral plane, and then, and then the, the the dragons, and the like. Some of the dragons and the Gith are now sort of hand in hand, and if the players eventually, <laughs> if I can maneuver it so that the players, <laughs> sort of side with the Gith Yankee over the mind flares, 
and agree to help them cross over. But like, by the way, we're bringing all these dragons back. <laughs> uh, I'd love to see their faces. But your idea about the dragon subjugating entire other plane is too good to, to mess with. So I guess I'll leave that alone. So yeah, like how many days would you give them in Tall Hill before... Uh, before sending in the Gith Yankee to mess stuff up, like like Tom actually said out of game, he says if if you if you destroy our little village here, I will be very upset. I think he, he said it would break my heart, which really is the wrong wrong thing to say to me because that's just an, like incentivizing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like they're they're coming back from this bog encounter. They're all like a few of them are very beat up, and if the Gith were waiting for them, they would get rolled really fast like they do not have the strength to to go toe-to-toe but i don't want to like that feels almost like too too much railroading almost i say how long have they been in tall hill uh game time coming back it might be like the third day coming back from the bog it might be the third day there's a very insidious part of me and i don't know if this would make for good podcasting but to almost give them a month of downtime, of, of time to, to forget about the other threats and to focus very much on, on establishing themselves in this new town, um, and then suddenly just have them be ambushed by the gith. The, the evil DM inside of me is cackling wildly at that thought. Well, that's, I mean, that's not a bad idea i think i don't know what tom wants to accomplish and i don't know what the other players will will make of that extended period of time um i think he might want to establish like another arm of the thieves guild but yeah i'm not opposed to letting them sort of dawdle and then punishing them for it (laughs) (laughs) because that way like i could i could have i could have the gith yankee show up and i could have uh, shigar along with a few other uh, thralls who are experienced fighters. It could have him go up to Tall Hill in that time to travel there under the orders of the Mind Flayers to in- insert himself into the world, I guess, into the what the players are doing, and then to retrieve the bones from them and then head back to, to Pharaoh's Point. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's even, that's an assault on two fronts. Yeah, because like he could he could be there and like w- he could arrive before the Githyanki ambush them and he could really help them. Uh, I mean, I don't even know if I want the Githyanki to lose or not, but if he does help them and then turns around and and you know after after this fight with these you know misty stepping interplanar aliens, just turns around and and. <laughs> you know curb stomps whoever's holding the uh the dragon bones and takes it and he's like okay bye <laughs> i mean there's so many ways to, and that's why i'm kind of torn is that i i i want this to be the player's story and I, I think maybe i'll give them i'll see i'll see how maybe after a week of in-game time what what is their plan because i if if they dawdle too much i think that is like a lapse on their part of Pharaoh's point is really suffering. Uh, I, I have a, I have a feeling that the others will want to, and, and this may be true of Tom as well, but I feel like the others maybe want to like maybe stay there for a little bit, but not, not really be on like vacation away from everything. But if that's what they choose to do, then, then I can let that happen. Leads me to another question that I was going to ask you. What do you think would happen to a half dragon if it was turned into a mind flare? A half dragon that became a thrall of a mind flayer. No, 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 no. Sorry, oh, turned into a mind flayer. Yeah, not like not a thrall, but legitimately transformed. Like, <laughs> oh, that is interesting. Like, do you mean it was a mind flayer disguised all along, or a half dragon just sprouts tentacles from its face and is a mind flayer? Yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, I was like, if they take too long, like, what would happen if the mind flayers got a hold of Agarant and put one of those little tadpoles, like, in his eye socket or in his, I don't know what, 
a half dragon has for an ear. He's got an ear equivalent, his ear canal. You know, like <laughs> how weird and horrifying would it be if they face if if like this big bulky humanoid wearing Agaran's you know bronze armor shows up and he's got like he's got scaly skin but also has tentacles. I mean, that is for one thing a very creepy visual, but for another thing a very excellent way to escalate things just have the uh what's so far been the biggest bad of the uh of the campaign just completely taken out and taken control of by a a so far unseen undetected third party that is apparently powerful and scary enough to completely just subjugate their enemy yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Is that you know, you you think that this guy is your is your bad guy. Well, now you're dealing with this other threat that is a whole lot worse. And the fact like you didn't even beat your bad guy, I I think they'll still have to fight Arizax, and Arizax has some nasty tricks up his sleeve, so he's going to be a tough customer on his own. Arizax being the uh, the sorcerer. Mm-hmm. If I can, if I can, I guess reveal something. He's actually more dangerous than Agarand is, so he gotcha. he will be more difficult to deal with than Agarand. But I, I think the I think the players are are sort of getting getting on to the fact that 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 there's other forces at work, and that Agarand and Arizax may not be the real big bad after all. So it wouldn't be a complete shock, but certainly a, an arresting visual. It'd be an interesting monster to to make stats for a half dragon mind flare, because mind flares on their own are pretty like they're not that physically tough, and I think they're they're that way by design. Like they're not, they aren't ones that go toe to toe with, you know, with skilled fighters. They they make their thralls and they, you know, have this dozens of beings that that do their fighting for them. So they're never really. Like, if, if they're in combat, I think it's as a last resort. Now, another interesting point that that, that brings up, since since we've talked about Arizax uh, potentially even siding with the Githyanki, uh, has he also made a deal with the Mind Flayers, or would this be something that was happening without his knowledge? Oh, yeah. Is he playing both sides, or is he... Uh, would he be blindsided by this turn as well? He he's completely he and Agaran, all the Dragonborn, they're they're totally unaware of the Mind Flayer's existence. Okay. Um like the 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 fact that they sort of showed up in the middle of this uh new life scourge and the fact that Kalir got teleported away, you know, completely coincidental that you know, it certainly looked like Arizax was responsible for that at the beginning. But that was that was just a coincidence that worked in the favor of the Dragonborn. I'm really sort of wanting the the Mind Flayers to be and, and the Elder Brain to be kind of the ultimate, uh, like the final stopping point of this particular adventure. And then where we go from there, I don't know. I I told I you know I mentioned to the players I'm like you know it'd be really interesting if you fail to start new characters in the world where the bad guys have won, <laughs> I, I kept it very vague, but to, for them to start over in a world where all of a sudden there's this new colony of, you know, psychic aliens all of a sudden, <laughs> but there, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I've said a couple times and, and this will come out in the group discussion episode that you're going to get uh, eventually, hopefully mm-hmm. soon as a Kickstarter supporter. Uh, that they've got a good handle on the things that they don't know, if I can phrase it like that. Mm-hmm. And another dilemma that I'm kind of wrestling with is the players know something. Do I wait to reveal it to the characters when the characters find out? Or, like, for example, if the if the Gith Yankee show up and and really beat the players into submission, not to kill them, but maybe capture them and say, okay, we know you've been working with some, like this person. Take us to him. They're naturally going to ask why. 
like the players will naturally ask like what do you want with him and it would make no sense for the get the yankee not to explain the entire thing right what do you what like what's your what's your thought on that i mean i think i think tom has legitimately figured out that mind flayers are involved he hasn't said it out loud to anybody else because he has restraint <laughs> mm-hmm. so like what would you do in that situation so, I mean, on one hand, it does make sense for, for the Gith Yankee to say, all right, you know, we, we hunt the Mind Flayer, the greatest evil that, that the, the planes have ever known. But on the other hand, the Gith Yankee are just warlike. So if they want to play it close to the vest and, and say, we are here to test our mettle against your mightiest warriors because we are superior, that's also a, a completely logical thing for a Gith Yankee to say. Uh, however, it it does make more sense for them to kind of reveal what it is they're looking for, and reveal that you know you you are the servants of mind flares, and we must eradicate you. That's that's like, do you think that that would be a fitting revelation? Like, if if I did that, they still wouldn't know like what the significance of new life is. Like, they don't know that that's something that Elwyn made as a thrall like he made that after he was changed into a thrall so they don't really know like they can know that the mind flares are there but they don't know what the plan is they don't know that the plan is for everyone who's taken new life is is essentially primed to be changed into a an illithid they're primed right. to, to be mind controlled like we're talking thousands of people by the time they get back to Pharaoh's point and and that the device is actually to bring in an elder brain like they'll have e- even if the gith yankee make that reveal to the players they'll still have no idea of the details of the master the grand design i guess is what it's called mm-hmm. yep and i will say if if they end up on the losing side of a gith yankee ambush like we've discussed a great place to to leave the episode that that happens would be with the the, the Gith Yankee commanders standing over them saying, and, and we will eradicate you, you servants of mind flares, and then immediately cut to dun 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 You know, they all do that once once I end the episode and I said, and that's where we'll leave it. Everyone's like dun 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 Of course they do. Because like when I originally thought it, like I thought that they would complete the device, that they would go to face off against um, uh, Arizax, they would have that fight, and then during that fight, Elwin would activate the machine, or he would cry out for help to stop him from activating the machine, and then a bunch of thralls and a few mind flares would show up at that point to take hold of the machine, because Elwin mm-hmm. apparently is you know, fighting back against his, his, his controls. And that would have been the reveal. Like that was my default position of revealing the presence of the mind flares. Aside from having the Gith Yankee explain it to them, which I mean, the way that I thought it in my head was, was like very cinematic, but it's, I can't really shoehorn them into doing that because they, they know that Elwin's like, they don't really want to trust him. Mm -hmm. Is there any other way that I could, subtly reveal the presence of the mind flares to them in another way that that is an interesting question and unfortunately we find ourselves in a situation where because the players know enough not to trust elwin they they won't like you said they won't get themselves to that situation where that original reveal can happen um and they're currently not anywhere close to where the mind flares are are kind of centrally operating. So, I mean, if you, if you want the the mind flare reveal to happen in a more more subtle, more organic fashion, uh, maybe you know having that situation where one of the one of the thralls of the mind flare shows up to ostensibly to help them set up their base in Tall Hill and through that person's actions or in through something that that individual does they then discover the influence of the mind flares or they they begin to to confirm their suspicions 
that not only is Elwin not to be trusted, but a great many of the people that they have trusted up to this point probably should not be trusted. Going back to Shigar, if he did go up there and tried to secure the dragon bone and they fought him and they beat him, like I, I know that Volos describes a process to reverse, like take someone out of being a thrall to sort of deprogram them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but since you and I are the ones re- like writing the rules for this, we can just say whatever it is that we want. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I thought in my head, like maybe if they knock him unconscious and then bring him back, like maybe that will undo it. And then that's a way, like a fairly simple way that they can also save Elwin. Because they don't have a cleric. They don't have anyone. I don't think anyone can cast restoration of any kind. So if if Shigar goes up there and they they knock him out and revive him, then he can sort of at least relay what he knows. And that will, like you said, inform them more organically of this of the threat that they're already suspicious about. And also tell them that this is the way this is a way that you can save Elwyn. Because Elwyn, I think, is the only one who can tell them, aside from a mind flare who maybe might monologuing a bit too much, Elwyn's the only one who can tell them the scope of the plan, like what the device mm-hmm. is really for, that the device still can actually find clear somehow, and that, you know, all the people who are afflicted by new life are, you know, potential enemies waiting for like a psychic command. Are you looking through Volos right now? I am. I, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the uh, the rules for for deprogramming someone, and I, I'm not entirely sure where they are. Let me join you. Two heads are better than one. Yep. I'm looking at the Elder Brain entry right now. I'm not seeing it here. I will say while we're flipping through uh, pages here, uh, Tom said about about his suspicions. He said, "If it is what I think it is, forget about the Dragonborn. Who cares about them?" We might be facing like something like sheer terror, like run and hide. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the that's the reaction that I want. Okay, I believe it's on page 71 under Mind Flayer's Scourge of Worlds. Okay, yeah, 75 we get over like on page 75, I think, is the section where they start in on thralls. A thrall can be restored to its former self through a combination of spells and ministration. The thrall must have regeneration, heal, and greater restoration cast on it once per day for three consecutive days. The victim is restored to normal when the final sp- the final round of spells is cast. So that is quite a bit of uh, high-level magic. Yeah, off the top of my head, I don't know what the level those spells are, but they sound like cleric deals. Uh, greater restoration, I know, is a. I believe that's a mid-level spell, like four or five, something like that. Mm-hmm. It might. It, it might even be higher than that. I, I don't think it's as high as like a greater resurrection or true resurrection or anything like that. But it's it's one of those spells that's up there with that because it, if I remember correctly, greater. Uh, Greater restoration is used like to remove curses, and uh, like even to like regrow body parts and stuff like that. Even if like we only have the group only has one full caster, who and I don't believe the bard gets access to any of those spells. I could be wrong, but I I don't think Faye will be able to pull that off. Having said that, it could be a neat encounter or, or a series of encounters. Like early early on in, in the show, they made friends with a dragonborn cleric, and it would be an interesting s- series of three days if they were trying to perform these ministrations on Elwyn to mm-hmm. have to protect both Elwyn and this cleric for three days while they moved around from place to place trying to hide in a city where a mind flayer can, you know psychically detect you so i i've looked it up um greater restoration is a fifth level spell but it is available for bards really so yeah candace could take it i guess that would just depend on if the situation 
presented itself to where Candace would want to take it. Yeah, that's that's really that's really big if, you know, I can't mm-hmm. I I cannot at all influence her in any way of of how to take her spells and you know, so far I don't think she has has like a single healing spell stocked. Maybe that'll change, but that's a big if and I wouldn't count on it. Right. But that is a cool scenario there to to have your players be down a few spell slots uh, if, if it's Candace that's casting these spells or still even be down a few spell slots, but defending someone uh, potentially inside of a city where many of the inhabitants have turned against them like Pharaoh's Point. To kind of have a, a warriors type situation where they have to, they have to <laughs> lock themselves somewhere, with the entire city trying to kick down their door, or like a purge type situation. Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking purge or like twenty eight days later, something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I mean that would be that would be pretty crazy if they had if if the if their wizard friends still survive. Mm-hmm. And if they at that point know, I guess I, I guess at that point it would make sense for them to know about the mind flayers. I mean, the wizards could drop non-detection, but they would still have to stealth um, through a city where an untold number of people are essentially the eyes and ears of the mind flayers, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be a pretty that would be a pretty intense three days. I, I really do hugely appreciate your time this evening. And there were some great ideas, which I'm definitely going to be taking away and hope, <laughs> hoping, hoping to incorporate in like the next parts of, of the, uh, the adventure. That's it for part one of our discussion. Stay tuned for part two coming in the next couple days. If you're listening to this and you would like to help plan out some stuff in this campaign, then go to our Facebook page, Knights and Nerds Podcast, and join the Dungeon Master Only group, because that is where a lot of behind-the-screen discussion takes place. Now we're just going to let the outro music take it away, because it's so epic. Like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun.